Democratic base is very dialed into abortion rights as an issue more broadly. Uh, Same-sex marriage rights. The state's last abortion the provider. Now apologize to his congregation. The Bible has application for every part of our lives. He said it would violate her views as a Southern Baptist. The problem is also not just in the midst of all of today's noise and confusion, we need a voice that cuts through the chaos to bring wisdom and clarity. Welcome to The Roy's Report with Julie Roy's, an hour-long show exploring critical issues related to faith and culture from a uniquely Christian perspective. Now, here's your host, Julie Roy's. Well, welcome to the Roy's Report, brought to you in part by Judson University. I am Julie Roy's, and today we're going to tackle one of the most contentious issues in our country, the issue of immigration. There are 11 million illegal immigrants already living in the United States. And according to news reports, President Trump is going to begin nationwide raids to arrest and deport thousands of undocumented families this weekend. What do you think of that? Do you support that or do you oppose it? In addition, there are 800,000 illegal immigrants who have been shielded from deportation under DACA. That's the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. These are people who were brought into the U.S. as children and have been granted work permits. But Trump did move to terminate DACA in 2017. And though the federal courts have blocked Trump, the fate of those 800,000 people protected by DACA is hanging in the balance. There's also the issue of migrants being held in detention centers and border patrol stations. Conditions in some of these detention areas are reported to be abysmal, and at least six migrant children have died in U.S. custody over the past eight months. But what's the United States supposed to do? The Department of Homeland Security says it's completely overwhelmed by the record number of migrants crossing the border each day. Homeland Security has requested more than $1 billion to improve conditions for migrants. But many argue there's only so much one country can do. So what do you think? How does a country balance the needs of its citizens and the rule of law with decency and compassion? And should the U.S. let in more refugees and asylum seekers or should it uphold DACA or should it repeal it? I mean, these are really difficult issues and we're going to be wrestling with them today. And what about the 11 million illegal immigrants who are already here? Should we deport them or should we give them a pathway to citizenship? Well, Judson University student Krista Ritchie, she took to the streets this week, and she asked people that specific question about deportation or citizenship. Here's what they said. Like, it, it's hard for me because there should be some kind of rule about, like, you know, if you're being illegal, maybe send it off. But at the same time, they also feel bad about it because they're trying to provide the best for their family. Um, so all that to say, I think if there's a way to make them a citizen, I'm all for that. Every country in the world has a system to enter the country. And to just let people come in ahead of all those people, it's not fair. It's not just. It's not responsible. And so the the people that come in illegally should be deported, and we shouldn't encourage them to come. We should encourage them to get in line and go through the system, and then they can become citizens. I'm in favor of um, a path to citizenship if the border is closed. Because they were given citizenship in the 1980s, promised the border, and they or they promised to close the border, and they never did. I am more leaning towards letting or getting them a pathway towards citizenship. How come? I just feel like to be like closed off from the rest of the world and like kind of exclude people, it just isn't right. And like obviously, like people are coming for safety a lot, um, so we should definitely find ways to let them be citizens. I believe. 
I fully support deporting illegal immigrants because if somebody crossed the border illegally, then he broke the law and therefore supposed to be deported to the country of origin. I strongly believe that there are like a million different ways to become a citizen in a legal way. That's why I have that kind of opinion and not others. So. I'm inclined to the letter of the law, but I'm also inclined to mercy and common sense. Well, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the issue since our show is recorded. Uh, I can't take your calls. However, there's always a lively discussion on Facebook about our topics each week. We'd love to have you be a part of that. Just go to facebook.com slash reach Julie Royce and Royce is spelled R-O-Y-S. Or you can comment on Twitter by using my handle at reach Julie Royce. Well, joining me today to discuss this issue are two very distinguished guests with a wealth of background in the law. They're also committed Christians who have thought deeply about this topic from a Christian perspective. First, Robert McFarland is a law professor at Faulkner University in Montgomery, Alabama. Robert also has served as a judicial clerk in the United States uh, Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. He's also the co-author of a law textbook called Foundations of Law. So, Robert, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you join us. Thank you very much. And also joining me is David Iglesias, former U.S. Attorney for the District of New Mexico under George W. Bush. Uh, As a prosecutor, he was responsible for over 11,000 prosecutions, most of which were border-related crimes. Iglesias also is retired from the U.S. Navy JAG Corps and is the director of Wheaton College's Center for Faith, Politics, and Economics. So, David, thanks so much for taking the time. So glad you could join us. You're very welcome. And David, if I understand this correctly, you were born in Panama to trilingual and tricultural parents. Is that right? Correct. My parents are missionaries. Yeah. So uh, trilingual, so I'm guessing English, what, Spanish? and Yes. And my father's native language of Kuna. Kuna? What is that? It's an indigenous language. Uh, my father uh, received his education in the U.S. and met my mother, who was a Wickle Bible translator, and then went back down to his people, where they were missionaries for many years. Wow, that is so cool. So how does that inform how you think about immigration? Well, I mean, uh, if you take a, a poll of anyone in, uh, or a, in, you know, people in a room, virtually everyone is an immigrant, uh, if you go back far enough. Some are more recent immigrants. I mean, my, my, my father came to the U.S. in 1936, uh, became a U.S. Citizen, uh, citizen in the late 1960s. On my mother's side, uh, her German uh, forebears came in the 1830s. So, you know, everybody is an immigrant except for a full-blood Native American uh, person, and there aren't that, that many of those folks, I'm afraid. Mm. Yeah, well, you're, you're right. Almost all of us are immigrants, unless you're Native American. Um, at some point, we came into this country, and it's been uh, sort of, that, that's, that's the DNA of the United States, is a country of immigrants and being welcoming, and yet at the same time, we have these pressing issues. It's really difficult. So, gentlemen, let me just start with kind of what's pressing right now, and that's this mass deportation roundups. Robert, why don't I throw that to you first? Do you support these uh, roundups that are uh, going on of undocumented uh, immigrants? Well, I certainly support the enforcement of law, and I think one of the ambiguities is what exactly is going to happen. Um, I think the president has tweeted, of course, and created certain ambiguities. His administration seems to be saying that the roundups will only be of those who have existing deportation orders. And I was struck by the comments of the mayor of your city, Chicago, on NPR just a couple of weeks ago. 
Uh, in an interview with Steve Inskeep, she said that if she would support deportation of individuals if there are existing orders, uh, deportation orders. Now, she wasn't supporting the rest of the president's proposal, but when it comes to the topic of deportation itself, it seems that many would acknowledge that if a court, an immigration court, has uh, issued final orders, then the rule of law demands that those orders be enforced. Hmm. Although I also read that there may be collateral roundups. In other words, if they show up somewhere where they're maybe getting someone who's illegal, who does have a paper or you know some sort of court order, um, they would get that person, but they might also arrest some others there who might they might find out are illegal as well. Is that your understanding? Well, I certainly would support giving every individual due process of law and their right to a day, either before the immigration court or in whatever regulatory proceedings are available to them. Um, but I would support um, any effort to enforce existing laws. Um, or, and I'm sure we'll discuss later, if that's untenable, then we should talk about what, what's available to Congress to change existing immigration laws and the need for perhaps comprehensive immigration reform. Mm. David, we just have a little bit of time before we have to go to break, but what's your initial feeling about these mass roundups? Uh, I urge extreme caution. The last time the United States government did this, it was 1955. It was called Operation Wetback, and over a million uh, apparent Mexicans were deported. Uh, and that included a large number of American citizens who did not have documentation at that time to prove they were American. I mean, that, that was a disaster. Mm. Uh, so uh, what, the, what the professor said is, right, if there's a court order, if we know to a scientific certainty that that is the right person, they've been ordered to be deported, I have no problem with that. But my concern is if you get overly zealous and you're deporting people who, uh, who, who have not received the, uh, the benefit of due process. Uh, so I, I am very, very... Uh, uh, cautious about this. Mm, and the idea of collateral arrest, does that make you nervous? It does. I mean, I've, I've been in federal law enforcement for many years and state law enforcement, military law enforcement. Look, there's a lot of great people. They, they, they do dangerous work, but sometimes mistakes are made. And when, when you've got somebody who's authorized to carry a gun, you know, sometimes uh, tragic results ensue. Okay. Well, we need to go to break, but that's uh, David Iglesias, former U.S. Attorney for the District of New Mexico and Director of the Center for Faith, Politics, and Economics at Wheaton College. Also joining me, Robert McFarland, law professor at Faulkner University. I'm Julie Royce, and you're listening to The Royce Report. We will be right back after a short break. We now return to the Roy's Report. Here's your host, Julie Roy's. Well, how should Christians respond to the immigration crisis? Welcome back to the Roy's Report. I'm Julie Roy's. So what do you think of Trump's plan to do mass deportation roundups? Is that necessary to deal with the 11 million illegal immigrants in the U.S., or is it cruel and impractical? And what about the separation of families or rescinding DACA? Is that justified, or is it, as some would say, inhumane? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Today's show is recorded, but you can join the live conversation on Twitter by using my handle at Reach Julie Royce, and Royce is spelled R-O-Y-S. You also can join the live conversation on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash Julie Royce. 
Also, if you want to explore this issue further, there's a great chapter on immigration in a new book called Reforming American Politics, A Christian Perspective on Moving Past Conflict to Conversation. I know sometimes we're afraid to discuss these issues, right? Because they can be so incredibly emotionally charged, yet there's no way that we can really come together as a diverse community and as a country unless we learn how to do that. So I'm actually offering this book. It's by Harold High, a senior fellow at the Colossian Forum. I'm offering this as a giveaway this morning. And to enter that giveaway, just go to julieroys.com slash giveaway. Again, julieroys, R-O-Y-S dot com slash giveaway. And you can get a copy of Reforming American Politics. Well, again, joining me today to discuss immigration is David Iglesias, former U.S. attorney for the District of New Mexico, and also Robert McFarland, a law professor at Faulkner University. And in the first segment, we were talking a little bit about this whole idea of these mass uh, deportation roundups. Uh, But I guess that gets to the whole, um, just a a lot of what uh, President Trump has been uh, proposing. For example, he did rescind uh, DACA, but then a judge um, stopped that from happening. But we also have this whole idea of separating young children, um, ending birthright citizenship. Uh, What do you think of these things? Robert, why don't I throw that to you first? You know, one of the interesting things about the the tone of our time is that sometimes the president's rhetoric doesn't match even the reality of his administration. Um, According to Wall Street Journal reporting and Axios reporting on June 21st this year, um, the actual number of deportations in the Trump administration are much fewer than in President Obama's administration. The peak of deportations over the past 10 years was in 2012 with uh, 409,000 deportations compared to about 258,000 last year. Hmm. And so I think one of the biggest changes of our time has to do not with the, the facts on the ground, but with the rhetoric in the air. And I, you know, that's not something that I really enjoy or support. Hmm. Uh, I think it's important for Christians especially to speak truthfully and with love. That requires us to think deeply about these issues and, and to walk alongside those who are facing these realities. Well, and some of that, I guess the president certainly adds fuel to the fire, but we also have the press uh, speaking in very polarized ways about this issue. Wouldn't you agree? Well, I would certainly agree with that. And I don't know if that's the press creating a reality or the press responding to a reality that's emerged in our country that we are much Mm -hmm. more polarized as a people. Mm -hmm. I would like to still think that we're one nation. But by and large, would you say you agree with Trump's policy? I agree with the need for the president to execute the immigration laws as written. And one of my biggest concerns is that Congress seems to be absolved of its responsibility. The, the, the key entity of our government with responsibility for immigration is the U.S. Congress. And what the president is doing is exercising discretion given him um, by very broad laws that, this, that, that, that the president, complicated system of laws, mm. But I think even David would agree that the president is exercising authority delegated to him by Congress. Well, let me throw it to David. What do you think? Yeah, I would, I would, uh, I would agree with that. Uh, I was deeply disappointed during the George W. Bush administration when the Republicans, and I, I should tell you, I, I've been a member of the party since the 1980s. Uh, we, we, we had the, the White House, we had the Senate, and we had the House, and we could not pass comprehensive immigration reform. So who do you blame for that? Um, what, what, what I think is uh, 
fascinating now is the belief that we have a significant crisis. And I, I'm looking at CBP, that's Customs and Border uh, Patrol, .gov numbers, going back, and it's entitled Nationwide Illegal Alien Apprehensions from 1925 to 2018. The most current year uh, was 2018, 400,000 apprehensions. That pales in comparison with my first year as U.S. attorney, which is 2001, when we had 1.2 million. Wow. So we had a much worse problem just in the past few years. Uh, the, the problems are significantly better. I, I think a lot of it is, is President Trump has made this uh, a, a high-value uh, uh, part of his messaging. And also you have these videos, you know, you have these groups marching up from Honduras, which is absolutely uh, the worst possible visual for them, because it looks like an armed invasion, when in fact that is not the case. Hmm. Uh, David, I would, I would follow up and say that I, I think all of that is correct. One other key difference on the ground is the political conditions in Central America really are creating um, a situation where a number of families are trying to escape um, a collapse of a rule of law, in, in my view, in those countries and the conditions that that creates. And so I think the migrant crisis, together with social media videos, as you're saying, have really created a new complexity at the southern border. But I agree generally that the immigration issues that we're facing now are not in, in some ways that much different than what we've been facing over the past 20 years. Hmm. And we do have record number of migrants coming in right now. I mean, I think that is <clears throat> contributing to this perception. And I think it is these detention camps, not just in the U.S., but also in Mexico, there's, there's camps set up. And from what I understand, they're much worse in, in Mexico than they are in the United States. Yet you have these situations where you know, you had the father with his with his young daughter who who died trying to cross the Rio Grande. I mean, when you have those kind of things happening, it does. I mean, as an American, as a human being, I look at that and, and my heart breaks for them. And so what do you do? I mean, when you want to, OK, say we, we can't take a flood of people coming in at the same time you have these you have a humanitarian crisis. What do you do with that, David? Yeah, the I think the answer goes to. Uh stabilizing the governments of Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala. Um, because as, as Robert said, we're getting fewer people, but the people we're getting are much more desperate. Because when, when you hear anecdotes uh, of parents giving choices by criminal uh, gangs saying, your child has two choices, either be a prostitute or, or a drug courier, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, what kind of choice is that? Uh, and when the law enforcement in those countries can't keep up with the massive uh, amount of, of criminality, uh, I think most responsible parents would flee also. But right now, our, our laws are such that you don't qualify for asylum uh, for criminal conditions. It has to be something else, such as political persecution or religious beliefs. So for us to legally admit a lot of these people, our laws have to be changed. And as Robert stated correctly, that's not something that the president can do sua sponte. That's something that Congress does. And Congress is dragging its feet. Hmm. And why is that? I mean, why why won't Congress do anything when it comes to this issue? Robert? I think Congress has grown accustomed to um, avoiding its responsibility, not just for immigration, but for a number of issues. Um, some of that probably has to do with the, the times we live in with the polarization of especially the use of primaries to polarize uh, communities. Um, I, I see that in my own state. 
Um, but it's easier for Congress simply to shift blame. And, and I, I agree with David, this happened even when the Republicans controlled Congress and the presidency during the, t- the time when President Bush, I believe, was showing leadership on immigration reform, an issue that was important to him. Um, it went off the rails in Congress, and yet blame has shifted to the White House. And so uh, I just think this is a dynamic that's troubling in our own, um, in our, in our, in our own country. So, David, you mentioned changing the laws so that people who are facing criminal conditions can actually gain asylum. Are you in favor, then, of actually exceeding or or making the number greater of asylum seekers that can come into the country? Well, I mean, I think you have to put a cap. I mean, we we, we can't admit everybody who wants to be admitted. Um, But but certainly, uh, if if there is credible, provable evidence that this family is fleeing um, criminal uh, activity, I think that, that, that should be added to, to the list of things you can get, um, uh, be granted asylum status. I, I think, but you know, that's a band-aid. I mean, the long-term solution is stabilizing those three countries, just like we stabilized Colombia. It, it took, it took billions of dollars to do it, but Colombia is a prosperous nation now, but it took billions of U.S. dollars and thousands of of Americans uh, assisting Columbia in establishing, re-establishing the rule of law. Mm. Well, you're listening to The Roy's Report. I'm Julie Roy's. Joining me today, uh, David Iglesias, former U.S. Attorney for the District of New Mexico. Also, Robert McFarland, law professor at Faulkner University. We will be right back after a short break. Former U.S. Ambassador Caroline Kennedy is coming to the Chicago area this October for a special conversation at Judson University's 2019 World Leaders Forum. Learn how Kennedy, a diplomat and author and the eldest child of President John F. Kennedy, carries on her father's legacy of public service at this unique opportunity for the Chicagoland community. Get your tickets today for this lively conversation hosted by nationally syndicated radio host and commentator Eric Metaxas. The World Leaders Forum brings recognized world leaders to the region each year to inspire leadership for all who attend. Many great thinkers and leaders have keynoted this prominent event. You won't want to miss Caroline Kennedy this fall. Judson University's 2019 World Leaders Forum is October 8th, 7 p.m. at the Renaissance Schomburg Convention Center. Tickets start at $75 and are available now at judsonu.edu slash WLF. Once again, tickets available now at judsonu.edu slash WLF. Now, more of the Roy's Report. Once again, here's Julie Roy's. Well, welcome back to the Roy's Report, brought to you in part by Judson University. I'm Julie Roy's, and today we're exploring the issue of immigration, one of the most contentious issues facing our nation today. And certainly, our hearts go out to these families fleeing dangerous and impoverished conditions in their homeland. But with these record numbers of migrants streaming into the U.S., can we continue to let them in, at least in large numbers? And what about the 11 million illegal immigrants already in the U.S.? Can we be a nation of laws and fail to enforce the law? At the same time, can we really support mass deportation roundups? What is the solution? Difficult questions. They don't have easy answer. And I'd love to hear what uh, you think on this issue. 
You can join the live conversation on Twitter by using the handle at ReachJulieRoys, and Roys is spelled R-O-Y-S. You can also join the live conversation on Facebook by going to Facebook.com slash JulieRoys. Also, if you want to explore this issue further, there's a great chapter on immigration in a new book called Reforming American Politics, a Christian Perspective on Moving Past Conflict to Conversation by Harold High. I'm giving away three copies of this book this morning, and if you'd like to enter to win one of those copies, just go to JulieRoys, spelled R-O-Y-S, dot com slash giveaway. Well, joining me today to discuss immigration is David Iglesias, former U.S. Attorney for the District of New Mexico, and Robert McFarland, a law professor at Faulkner University. And gentlemen, I uh, saw a Pew Research Center poll that asked the question, the U.S. has a responsibility to accept refugees. Do you agree or not agree? Interestingly, uh, among black Protestants, uh, 63% said that the U.S. does have a responsibility to accept refugees. Uh, religiously unaffiliated, 65% said the U.S. has a responsibility. Catholics, 50% said the U.S. has a responsibility. White mainline Protestants, 43%. But the, by far the lowest group as far as saying that the U.S. has a responsibility to accept refugees is white evangelicals. Only 25% says that, you, that the U.S. does have a responsibility. 68% says the U.S. does not have a responsibility. And I think a lot of people would look at that and they'd say, see, white evangelicals have no heart. And there may be some criticism there for white evangelicals, and I happen to be one, so I can um, feel like I can say that. But at the same time, I think there's this underlying idea of what is justice. Because I think when you say justice to different groups of people, it means different things. And I do think that our idea of justice lays this foundation. I mean, we've been talking about sort of the above the waterline issues, which are, you know, what do we do with illegal immigrants? What do we do with the migrants? What do we think about mass deportations? But I think below the waterline, really the the foundation of all of this is what our view of justice is. So let me throw that to you, David. When when I say justice, what does that mean to you as a Christian um, and as an American? Right. So so I look to scripture. Um, so I looked at Micah 6, 8, which says, uh, you know, what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? So mercy is a really big component. You know, we, we grew up, we're, we're all in a country that, you know, has tens of thousands of law. We, we believe in the rule of law. We don't believe in chaos. We believe what uh, Romans 13 says about obeying the government. Uh, but it's got to be tempered with justice or with, with mercy. Um, you know, we, we can't prosecute our way out of this terrible situation. Uh, and I think Christians need to really focus on the mercy aspect and not just the, the law aspect. Okay, Robert, what do you think of that? You know, on my thinking on this issue, I think back to a Christian leader in the, the city in which I teach, to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., a sermon that he delivered here in August of 1959 entitled, A Tough Mind and a Tender Heart. In it, he says to his parishioners that the shape of the world today does not permit us the luxury of soft-mindedness. And the next sentence has always struck me. A nation or civilization that continues to produce soft-minded men purchases its own spiritual death on an installment plan. And much of what he was talking about in this sermon was the need to uphold civil rights and to pursue justice while at the same time 
create that synthesis with the rule of law and the right reason. And King, of course, explored this later from a a Birmingham prison cell in which he's writing a letter to Christians about upholding the law by acts of civil disobedience, being willing to accept the penalty for the disobedience to awaken moral consciousness. And so I know I've, I've said a lot there, and he's saying a lot. Mm-hmm. But the reason I want to put that on there is because I think there's a tendency among some to say out of one side of their mouth, yeah, I support deportation and the rule of law if a judge says that here's your final order, and at the same time say, well, United States of America is heaven on earth, and so justice demands that we let everyone in. And so it's actually in this tension and figuring out what is justice requiring of us. And I think when you think deeply about this issue, many of the migrants fleeing Central America, for example, are separating themselves from extended family because of conditions in their own country. And I think it's, it's a little naive to think that what they really want deep in their heart is to live in the shadows in the United States. That's not what they want. They're, they're, they, it seems to me, would want to, to live um, lives of meaning in their own homeland. And so if we really want to walk alongside them, we need to think deeply about how to address conditions in their own countries and work with them rather than just thinking the, the, the solution is opening our own borders. It's interesting you use this term. Well, actually, Martin Luther used the term soft-minded. Um, sometimes I think when we approach this, we don't use our minds at all. We're just led by uh, sound bites, by rhetoric, by a lot of emotional pictures that we see and images. But what does it mean to, to really uh, not be soft-minded, but to actually engage both our heart and our mind on this issue? Well, David? I, I, I completely agree with you. And I, what I mean by that is the first step for Christians and I know of David's work, and, and he's doing this. But the first step is for us to think about this issue by, for example, informing ourselves about the nature of asylum laws in the United States, um, the, the, the means of applying for asylum, for example. And if we as Christians are unsatisfied with that, demand legislative change. We have the ability to do that. Yeah. David, what do you think? Well, I mean, uh, we we have to be sober-minded. We have to think about what, what what's causing all this. Um, and you know, the long-term solution isn't just to let everybody in. We 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 just can't do that. But it's to uh, create a situation uh, in those three countries that are putting out so many desperate people. So they want to stay. They want to stay in their homes. They don't want to move, walk, you know, a thousand miles to the to the southwestern border. Um, you know, if we're really serious about about extending mercy, then then we help rebuild those countries. We help get rid of those gangs uh, of uh, gangbangers that were deported from the United States. Mm. You know, we, we help fix a problem that we created. All right. We need to go to break. But when we come back, I want to talk about, we've been talking a lot about the migrants coming in, but what about the 11 million illegal uh, immigrants that are here in the United States? What's the best way to deal with that situation? Uh, again, you're listening to The Roy's Report. I'm Julie Roy's. Joining me today, Robert McFarland, a law professor at Faulkner University, and David Iglesias of Wheaton College. We'll be right back. This is The Roy's Report with Julie Roy's. 
Well, how do we balance rule of law with compassion when it comes to immigration? Welcome back to The Roy's Report. I'm Julie Roy's, and today we're discussing immigration, and in particular, we're exploring how Christians should respond to this difficult but incredibly important issue. We'll return to that discussion in a minute, but I want to let you know that next week we'll be discussing another hot-button issue. We're going to be exploring whether sexual redemption and change is possible for LGBT persons. Joining me will be the founders of the Freedom March. This is a growing movement of ex-gay and ex-trans people who say deliverance from LGBTQ lifestyles is possible and they're living proof. Joining me will be the founder of the Freedom March and two people who actually survived the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando, Florida. It's going to be an awesome show uh, and it will be live, so I hope you'll be able to listen and uh, perhaps call in next week uh, again on the Roy's Report. Well, returning to our discussion today on immigration, again joining me is uh, Robert McFarland, law professor at Faulkner University, and David Iglesias, former U.S. attorney for the District of New Mexico. And gentlemen, I said before the break that I wanted to talk about a solution for the 11 million illegal immigrants or undocumented uh, people who are here in the U.S. right now. A lot of different solutions being uh, offered, but it seems like we can't get con- Congress to agree on any of them. But uh, let me throw this to you, David. What do you think the best thing is to do with these 11 million people who are already here? Um, and sure, we've got some deportations going on maybe this, this weekend, this week, um, but 11 million? Are we going to deport 11 million people? I, I don't think yeah, that's going to happen. Simply not possible. Um, you know, ICE doesn't have enough manpower for one thing. Um, and secondly, do we want to live in a country where there are checkpoints everywhere? There are raids in our places of work. I mean, you know, no, you know, no one wants to live in an Eastern Bloc kind of country, uh, in what used to be called the Eastern Bloc, I should say. Uh, so, I mean, I, I really liked uh, what McCain put forward uh, when he was alive. This was about 10 years ago, and, and he and other senators, it was bipartisan, as I recall, said there, there should be self-reporting, there should be a fine involved, and as long as they stay out of trouble, they get to stay here legally and work. It does not give them citizenship, because that should be reserved for people who did it right. But... It does get them out of the shadows and increases our tax base. It, it allows them to use social services. So, I mean, that, that has to be one thing that Congress, uh, when it gets around to it, should consider. Robert, what do you think of that? Well, two things. First of all, the 11 million number, I think looking more carefully at that number, by some estimates, as much as 80% of that number are people who are here on expired visas. And so they've already put themselves in the process at some point and they have just stayed beyond the time limit of their visa. Um, looking at, at solutions to the group as a whole, I think one concern that many have when you're, you're looking at what to do is if you create a pathway to citizenship for that group that ignores the fact that they have not followed existing law, are you inviting um, more um, what, what is called illegal immigration in the future. Are you inviting, in other words, more to cross the border in hopes that another adjustment will be made down the road because we're stuck in another situation where we have millions of new immigrants who have not followed the legal requirements? Um, I've, everyone I've heard talking about a pathway to citizenship say that they don't want to create that situation. And many who support a pathway are, are talking about wanting to do it in conjunction with closing the southern border. And, and I'm, I'm not really sure how you do that effectively. How you close the border? 
So in other words, many of the proposals for a pathway to citizenship for those already here, mm-hmm. uh, the compromise put forward is we'll just shut down the southern border of the United States completely and tightly secure it. And of course, the president's proposal is to build a wall, but many critics of that proposal um, have, have said it's impossible to close a border effectively, mm-hmm. even with a wall. And so my point is, I think that as we look into the future, anything we do now for this group of people we're going to have problems in the future with a new group of people who are here illegally. And so thinking carefully about how we're going to deal with this issue long term, I think, is is one of the reasons why I would like to see Congress address this comprehensively. But you, you're not for a pathway to citizenship, but are you for some sort of way of helping them come out of the shadows, maybe well, let, given, getting let me a put fine? It to you this yeah. I believe there already is a pathway to citizenship. There is a way to apply for U.S. citizenship. And in fact, over 800,000 people right now are in that line. They have already applied, and they're waiting on the immigration courts to handle their application. And so I don't see it to be just to put these 11 million ahead of those who have already invested themselves in applying for the visa, getting their green card, standing in line for three years, or meeting any of the other conditions for citizenship that currently exist. But what do you what do you propose then with the 11 million or however however large that number is? Do you think we should just deport them? I think that they're here in violation of the law and unless the law is changed, they the remedy that exists on the books is either deportation or a fine. There is some discretion there for the president. Mm-hmm. Um, or change the law. What I cannot be in support of is just saying, well, let's just ignore that group of people. Hmm. Um, what do you think of that, David? Well, I mean, the, the thought of, of deporting uh, 11 million people uh, is, A, impossible, and, B, even if we could do that, it would crater certain industries in this country. The ag industry would crater, the construction industry would crater, uh, a, a lot of the food service industry would crater, uh, meat processing, chicken processing, you know, we, we need, we simply need the manpower. Uh, but we've got to get people here who are here for a, a, a set amount of time. Uh, and, uh, and we know who they are. We know what their status is. And at the end of their job, they go home, similar to the work project uh, plan that, uh, that we had in Mexico in the 1940s and 50s. Uh, I'm not sure why that program ever ended, but we need to bring something like that back. And so, and so all I'm saying is, if we're going to do something like that, let's empower these individuals to acquire work visas and be here legally so they don't have to be in the shadows and they don't have to fear the penalties that are currently on the books. Well, it does seem to me we have to do something. I, I read a story last night, and it, it did just break my heart. is about these women who are working, um, picking... Uh, vegetables and watermelons, different things, and they're making $3 an hour, way below minimum wage, right? Because they're undocumented. They can get away with that. And they're they're in danger. Often their supervisors look to them as, as prey because they know they can't, they don't have much recourse under the law. So a lot of these women are assaulted. They're raped. They don't report it. I mean, what's happening is, is just awful, and it's happening within our country. I mean, there's got to be a way to deal with that. And, and, David, it seems to me it needs to happen quickly, doesn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, we, we have to create a legal work status that doesn't lead to, to citizenship. I, I think, I mean, a lot of these migrant workers just want to come up here, work, send money home, and then go home. You know, we, we need to encourage that. Um, you know, I just came back from Singapore, and they have a fascinating uh, system. When you enter as a foreign national, you have to tell them when you're going back. You have to show evidence of going of when you're going to go back in, 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 uh, in the way of a return ticket. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they won't let you in. Why, why, why can't we do something like that? Well, and that's, uh, that's interesting because when, when we think of, like you mentioned, Robert, we think of illegals. We, we're not thinking necessarily of expired visas. And yet I did read that the, the greatest number of expired visas, I mean, we're not talking Mexican immigrants. We're talking Asian immigrants have these expired right. visas. And, and yeah, they're, they're overstaying their welcome, David. Right. And also, you know, we need to penalize uh, American employers that are knowingly hired people who who are illegal. Uh, you know, we've been talking about the, the immigrant. We haven't been talking about the American employers who are benefiting uh, from this status and taking advantage of it. You know, we need to take the gloves off and, 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 and prosecute some of them. Hmm. We don't have a lot of time, but there's one other issue I do want to get to because I know it's one that that a lot of people feel strongly about, and that's this whole issue of separating young children from their parents. And and this is one that the the press has exploited. Let's let's admit that. But at the same time, you know, as Christians, as people who care about families, um, that's pretty tough. Robert, what do you think about that issue? Well, I agree that it's tough, and I agree that we should foster. Um, keeping families together, if at all possible. Um, I'll say again that the laws in the books, an unlawful entry, unless you're claiming amnesty, um, allows the government to prosecute you for a misdemeanor and imprison you for up to six months. And I think what's happening is that that law is being used, you know, when parents are convicted of a crime or put in the court system, they can be separated from their children, whether you're an immigrant or not. Um, so we need, to, we need to include this issue in looking at the issue of immigration reform at the legislative level. But would you be in favor? I mean, if the law says they should, families should be separated, children should be separated to do it? The law doesn't say that. The law, in, when, right. when, when, a parent, when a parent is sent to prison for violating a federal law, whether you're an immigrant or not, you're separated from your children. Mm-hmm. And that's a consequence of committing a crime. Mm-hmm. Right now... This status, um, if you enter unlawfully, it's a misdemeanor, and if you re-enter, it's a felony. And so it's the nature of the offense itself that is causing the separation. And I'll go back to my earlier comment. I think that the president has in some ways weaponized this issue with his rhetoric. Um, and, you know, our, our moral consciousness as a nation has responded. We. I've been heartened to see that we we do not support dividing families up uh, as a, a people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's tough. But it's tough when you've got a, a parent who's not here legally, the child is maybe, and do we send them back? David, let me throw it to you. Well, when it's even tougher is is when you have uh, children who are born in the U.S. and their parents get get sent sent home. Yeah. So what do you, what do you, what do you do with the child because they're a U.S. national? Um, you know, I, I guess they go back with their family, um, but they don't lose their, their, their citizenship. You know, uh, what Robert said is true. Crime has consequences, and one of those consequences is, is being separated from your family. I think the U.S. needs to, to work uh, very closely with uh, uh, doing public service ads in, in Mexico and Central America and, and tell them exactly what to expect if they try to enter into the U.S. illegally. 
because uh, there's so much disinformation. So just blitz the airwaves and Internet and TV. With, this is what will happen to you. Hmm. And what do you think of the wall? Good idea, bad idea? We just have a short yeah. amount of time, but I'm curious. Well, I mean, it, it, you know, the law, I think, is a very practical one. Uh, we, we can't take kids in prison. Uh, we, we have to create a penalty. It is what it is. Yeah. Mm. So you're in favor of a wall. How about you, Robert? Oh, I'm sorry, that Clearly. wall. I thought you said the law. Oh, no, the yeah, a wall. <laughs> oh, a, a wall would be a colossal waste of money. Uh, you build a 10-foot wall, somebody will find an 11-foot ladder. It, it, it simply <laughs> won't work. Okay, Robert, what do you think? Well, and many of the smuggling routes that are already existing are tunnels underneath existing fences. And so I think that's a very practical question yeah. that needs some attention. Um, I think the bigger question is how do we secure the southern border? Um, and interestingly, Canada is asking this question regarding its southern border. Um, mm. and you can read about that if you just do some research on the, the rise of deportations in Canada mm. that are already occurring. Well, I'm going to have to wrap this up, and uh, I'm sorry we, we could talk about this much, much longer. Uh, but I do think Scripture is clear that we are to welcome foreigners. In fact, Leviticus, God says to the Israelites, when a stranger resides with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. He shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. So as Christians, should we welcome immigrants? Well, sure, but in Leviticus, God's talking about foreigners legitimately living among the Israelites. So I think there's an issue of legitimacy. That's my view. If you'd like to share yours, I encourage you to go to my website, Julie Roy, spelled R-O-Y-S dot com. There you'll find uh, audio of this uh, radio show as well. Hope you have a great weekend, and God bless.